the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a very special edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. More on that in a moment. But we're here to answer your phone calls, take your questions, questions about the Bible, questions about church, whatever might be going on in your life. All you need to do is to provide the phone call, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. If you have questions you want to submit um, via our Calvary Chapel mobile app, you can do that. You can also send your questions via email by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. And as always, I don't know if it's raining in San Antonio, but in Leakey, Texas, it's actually Lakey, Texas, but it's spelled Leakey. It just started raining here. Um, uh, The safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Uh, We are here at our men's retreat. We've been sharing with you um, throughout the week that we were going to be here. Uh, I've got a special guest, Pastor Dan Lights from Calvary Chapel in Oceanside, California, and he's been blessing us with his teaching, um, just the joy of the Lord that, that's in him. And so, Dan, thanks for being here. God bless you, and man, it's fun to have you. Amen. It's, it's an honor. I mean, it really is just to be here, just to be hanging out with you guys and uh, just uh, enjoying the uh, the great nation of Texas. We we may not send you back to California. I Well... Uh, I've got some people that might be upset about that, but, <laughs> but I'm okay. I'm okay. I love, okay. I love it here. I mean, the, the tables have been turned. You know, normally when people come from California, they talk about the weather's been perfect. Dan, actually, you came, and it's cooler here than it is Absolutely. in California. It was blazing hot this whole uh, last almost two weeks now. It's been, I think uh, Californians are wimps. We are, for sure. For sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it gets below 60. People are putting on sweatpants and long johns and going, what's going on? This is crazy weather. And then it gets over 90 and people just melt. So it's great. <laughs> well, thank you for being here. Welcome to the show. Man, I've been enjoying your teaching. Thanks so much. It's we got, a, we have one more honor. tonight and one more tomorrow morning. Yeah, amen. So don't wear out your voice. No, I won't. I've already done that, but that's all right. I'm going to try and keep <laughs> yeah. it as much as and possible. And for those of you in San Antonio, Dan will actually be teaching the Sunday services, all three of them. Uh, at our Sunday services uh, this weekend, so we'd love to have you if you are inclined. We've been here with the men. We've been having a we had before this session a Q and A session. We've got some uh, men in the audience. Uh, we're going to deal with some questions that have been sent in. Um, and uh, from that perspective, if you have any questions, just come up. But remember, we're still taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions. You're going to have to make that bigger because I can't see the questions. I know dead air is terrible, but I can't see the writing. I'll take this opportunity to say, Paula, I love you. I know you're home and you're watching. Okay, here's the first question. If you and your wife both love Jesus and are walking with him and everything is going well and you are serving God together and you're a pastor 
uh, and you are a pastor, um, even and your wife, I know, comes to you one day and wants you to step down from serving, um, to devote more time to her, uh, and you both pray, uh, but God is silent to you. Oh, that's a uh, that question Dan could take. <laughs> you just let me have that one. Yeah, so you, you yeah, start that's all with yours. That <laughs> Get Bali over here. You know, that's a it's an interesting question. We actually just had this conversation, no doubt, uh, with my staff on uh, Wednesday morning. No doubt, we just had this. And 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 the question really boils down to, you know, is is ministry a team sport? Is it a is it a family sport? No doubt it is. Every time I've got a young man who wants to go into ministry and desires uh, the pastorate even, um, a lot of times before he's married, we counsel him, uh, you know, when you find a wife, you got to make sure she's ready for ministry as well. It's not, uh, sometimes we think it's a, a, a solo gig, but uh, my wife was geared for ministry. Um, she felt called to ministry, um, but doesn't, it doesn't matter that that call is there. It's still difficult, right? Uh, every time that you uh, have a, a rough time, every time someone attacks you, attacks your wife, attacks your family, right? And I'm talking just in the, uh, the rumors, gossip, slander, all that stuff that can kind of come from it. There's a lot of times when, uh, you know, what was the latest statistic? I think I read it um, in a news story the other day, 42% of pastors want to step down. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it, it's coming hot and fast. And especially the last couple of years, uh, two to three years, it's been really difficult for pastors. And so wanting to step down, I mean, this is something that you don't, uh, I would say, I think Ron, you'd probably agree. You don't take a decision like this lightly, Boy. uh, because it's, it's not something you can really come back from. Obviously you don't you know, go back and forth in a ministry, out of ministry. And, you know, if God's called you and it's a calling, you got to give, uh, the Lord some time and you got to have a lot of patience in questions like this. Yeah. And you know, one of the things, and I, I, I mentioned this in, in, um, in, our Q&A session on another matter. One of the, the things that we have to understand is that God is, is in charge. You, you, you're not your own. You're bought with the price. And we don't have the freedom. Now, we've got free will, but we don't have the freedom to say, okay, God, you call me to do this. I'm going to quit. I'm right. going to step down. You just can't quit the Lord. You can't quit the work that he's called you to do. And every time, Dan, and I'm sure this has happened at your church as well, every time you see a marriage start to be broken apart in terms of walking together. Amos 3.3 3 says, how can two walk together unless they agree to do so? Uh, every time you see uh, that, that there's, there's other issues. And, and when people step down, without dealing with these kinds of issues, they regret it forever yeah. because, because there's no way back. There, there are just some things you don't quit on. And when you quit and then you start uh, looking for something else and you're frustrated, then you're going to quit that too. Yeah. And, and the point, I, I just did a Bible study this past Wednesday, the floating ax head. There you go. And, you know, the, 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 the point of the, of the story is uh, when, when Elisha said, where did you lose it? The, the idea there is, show me the exact spot you lost it. And a lot of times we'll make a decision, we'll regret the decision, then we'll try to move forward with our life. But God is always going to take us back to the exact spot. Wherever right. we lost it, that's where we got to go find it. Right. And um, one of the things that I've told our pastors, and, and everyone knows, and I, uh, our church, this is family, Dan, I, we're, we're, we're really and truly family. But I've told them all that if their wife is not in support of what he's doing or is no longer in support of the vision of the church or the direction the church is taking, or if they sort of go off just because things are hard, then they're going to step down for right. a time. Absolutely. Because, because the, the family has to be in order. Absolutely. And, and, and that order is walking right. with Jesus. Yeah, and I will add one more thing. Your wife is your first ministry. So if there is discontent there, obviously you want to get down to the root of that discontent. And there may be some counseling and some pastoral counseling that you need to take. But um, she is your first ministry, um, as, as many pastors can say. I mean, I've met many pastors over the years that gave their life for the ministry instead of their wives. And uh, they were married to the ministry. And that uh, always results in a tumultuous relationship. You know, before I got saved, I worked 100-plus-hour weeks. That was just mm-hmm. part and parcel. Paula was a... A, a work widow, right? And 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 even when I got saved and got called in the ministry, she thought, "Oh, I'm going to be a a church widow now," <laughs> because that's just I'm obsessive about things like that. And one of the things the Lord made very very clear to me is is she's got to be walking with me, Amen. 
and she's my partner. I can't do this without her. Right. And, and, and in an issue like this, and we don't have any more information than that, but in an issue like this, there are other issues that haven't been addressed, and, and those issues have to be addressed. So um, you, you just can't quit the Lord. And if you have a situation between a wife and a husband in ministry and the wife is asking you to step back or step down, uh, then there's a time for reevaluation that needs to occur. Amen. Good question. Thank you guys very, very much. Mark chapter 12, Jesus said, Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. What is the Christian's role in our government that is creating laws that are against the values of our spiritual beliefs? That's the first question. The second, are we guaranteed to live in a democracy as a biblical God-given right? Are we guaranteed to live in a society that gives us a choice to elect our leaders? Um, that's the last one? Okay, let's stop there. And Dan, why don't you take the first part? Well, that's three questions. So we might spend the rest of our time here just on these because this <laughs> is a lot to unpack. Um, and, and truly, yeah, if you guys you know, know the story of uh, this kind of beautiful story where Jesus is really making a, a statement on, on taxes. And he was saying, listen, the government's the government. The kingdom is the kingdom. And it's not that they don't intersect on, on certain levels, right? We are uh, Christians living in this world, this secular kingdom, if you will. But we are of a different world. Jesus says, you are not of this world because, you know, I'm, I'm not of this world. We're, we're not of this world. And so when it comes to the Christian's role in government, obviously we should be about it, right? I think the Lord has made us, called us to be salt and light in our, in our culture. And that comes with responsibilities, upholding the, the laws, the rights, uh, enacting new ones. Uh, I think to be very clear, uh, you know, I'm from California. I think uh, a lot of Christians have gone to sleep over the years on these things. And we've allowed secularism to, to overtake many of our institutions. And what that's done is created a negative effect. And so now we're seeing the effects of that where Christians weren't as involved in government as they should have been, right? This is a privilege that we have to be involved in government. Anybody can get elected, right? There's a few stipulations, obviously, with uh, certain citizenships and, and age. But uh, once you've, uh, you know, kind of gone through those hoops, uh, anyone can be in those roles. And I think because of that, there's Christians who have just kind of uh, gotten lazy, uh, to be really clear. And um, we should have Christian, full-on Christians in school boards, Christians overseeing, gosh, I'd love, you know, obviously Christian governors, a Christian president. I mean, there's so many ways that we can get Christians better involved in government. And I think that is a crucial role for Christians to be involved in, in their civic duty in government. Yeah, you, you know, uh, when Jesus was asked a question, they were trying to trap him. Uh, they thought they put him in a situation where no matter what he answered, there was going to be one group against him and he would be in trouble. Um, but but what was, his response was, well, well, give me a coin. Whose image is this? Right. And I think when we answer this question, I'm not talking about the people running for office. I'm not talking about voting. We, we certainly ought to fulfill our obligation to vote. But whose image is on you? And so your responsibility is to give whoever's image is on you, you're to give yourself to, to that person. Well, obviously, we're created in the image of God. And since we're created in the image of God, uh, that's always going to be our first focus. Um, we have very little impact on what goes on in the world beyond the vote. And too often, um, when we get angry because things didn't turn out our way, uh, we find that, that you know, Christians aren't participating in the process. They're not voting. I said uh, in response to another question earlier today that, that I wish Christians would run for offices. Amen. I mean, I really believe God would call people if they would sincerely seek him to run for office. The problem then is that Christian called by God has to remain focused on Christ. He or she belongs to Jesus. His image is on them. And too often we get in there, we start compromising, start negotiating. And, uh, and the reality is um, when God calls somebody to be a believer, uh, a believer to be involved in politics, if God's really called you, then your stand is for him, not for an ideology, not for a political party, but for him. So I think that's one of the things that we really and truly have to understand about about this question. So we'll, we'll go on to the other, but I've got somebody at the at the microphone now. 
I love you, Pastor Ron. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, um, so talk about discerning the false teachers, because there's so many of these, like, mega churches, and, I mean, I just know in my heart that they're not teaching right, but can you give us some insight? Yeah, um, I'm going to let Dan handle this. I'm going to say just this one thing. Mega church is defined by the number of people that go to the church. Mm. One of the easiest things in this world to do is have a big church. If you want a lot of people coming to your church, you want to be a mega church, it's simple. You tell them what they want to hear. That's right. And when you do that, your, your building isn't going to be able to hold the number of people that come in. When we see mega churches and constantly growing and, and the people in the body are not growing because they're not being taught, they're not being told that sin is sin and, and they don't want to confront the issues that, that a biblical preacher has to confront, um, um, you know, they're going to stand before the Lord. I'm not going to answer for their ministry. They're going to stand before the Lord. And I think Jesus is going to say to a lot of people, why are we ashamed of my word? Well, I wasn't. I had a big church. And, and he will say, didn't many say to me on that day or won't many say to me on that day, Lord, Lord? And he'll say, depart from me for I never knew you. Um, we can't judge their hearts. All we can do is look at their fruit. Dan, my final thought on this, I really yep. am interested in, in your perspective because you come from a different area. Um, um, we who are under shepherds, and senior pastor or not, uh, we're under shepherds. It's Jesus' church. You're Jesus' people. This is Jesus' word. And we identify as his servant. So we have no right to revise the word. We have no right to improvise. Um, we have no right to soften or, or soft pedal the word. Um, that's why being a part of a Calvary Chapel movement that teaches the Bible verse by verse right. is such a gift to us Absolutely. because it keeps us in those constraints. And um, the man or the woman, unfortunately, who would teach that... Um, well, I just want people to feel good and look how God is blessing the church. Uh, they're going to stand one day and hear Jesus ask him, why were you ashamed of my word? Yeah. You know, I, I, I find that we've got to be careful with the word megachurch because um, I think with it comes a whole lot of baggage um, because of a megachurch in our uh, current culture is really defined as any church that has over 2,000 members. Um, so in that case, Calvary Costa Mesa in its heyday was a megachurch, right? So we can't just throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. And what you've seen uh, a lot of in, in, you know, especially the last two years through the pandemic, you've seen a lot of consolidation of churches where some of the smaller churches couldn't, couldn't hang, right? They didn't have the financial uh, abilities to keep going or, or the people to sustain that local fellowship. And so you saw a lot of consolidation within churches, uh, even a mutual friend of ours, um, their church was in our area and they folded into our fellowship. They, you know, basically said, Hey, we're not going to be able to keep it going. And so, Hey, this is a great church preaching the word. Let's fold in with these guys. But when it comes to the false teachers, I mean, listen, if you listen to me for any length of time, because I am, I talk for a living, I'm going to say something stupid. I, I just will you ask my wife. There's going to be times because <laughs> she's heard it before where I'm just going to say something dumb. Now, uh, I think a hallmark of a, of a teacher of scripture, if he messes up, like if he says something, uh, you know, Freudian slip, or if he just messes up, he'll come back and say, hey, I, I messed up, or I said something, or if somebody calls him out, he'll ask for forgiveness. But yeah, obviously you see in the, the latter days, um, and we're there, but not even latter days, we're always looking to raise up for ourselves people that tell us what we want to hear, right? The itching ears is, is a big deal, and there's itching ears on both sides. And there's itching ears for every subject matter. So we've got to be careful, right, what takes people outside of the fold of Christianity or what a church maybe is solid on for salvation, but they've got too much of a focus on something else, which is leading people down a road that may not be great or beneficial. So it, it, it's hard to paint with a broad brush on every um, system or every mega church out there simply because um, – if our churches grew to be mega churches, would we not want that, right? If, if God poured out his spirit in, in a revivalistic sort of way, like we saw in the Jesus movement, would we not praise God? Or, you know, we would, I guarantee you, have to f fend off other accusations of they're too big or what, 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 they must be preaching a feel-good gospel. So really, it, it boils down to what is the gospel that they're preaching, and that only comes through 
some real investigative work in terms of what is the gospel that they're preaching. Yeah. You know, the mutual friend that Dan spoke about is a, is a, 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 a dear friend and, and a hero to me. Um, it, one of the hardest things for a pastor, we're human, we have egos. One of the hardest things for a pastor to do is let go of the yeah. work that yeah. he gave birth to. Yep. Um, you know, as I'm getting older, I'm approaching that age where I just keep thinking, Lord, at some point I'm going to have to hand this over to somebody else. And it's like handing over your child. Yeah. And, and you don't want to do it, but, but you've got to realize that at some point we're giving the spirit um, the final say-so in the matter, and we got to do what's best. So that's one of those things. Matthew. All right, Matthew from Cibolo. Um Hi, my love, Michelle. I don't think she's <laughs> listening. Um, our baby uh, babysitter belt out today, so she has both babies today. So I called her this morning, so she's doing all right. But my question, we've been actually, my wife and I have been studying uh, Genesis together in our husband and wife time, and and um, we talked about, we, we got to a point where how Abraham lied to Pharaoh about his wife being a sister. And it brought me, when you're talking about Joshua today, it made me think about how Rahab lied and for the spies, and she ended up getting blessed. So I know we shouldn't lie, but um, can you talk about that, why they lied and, you know, blessings came from that lie, you know, as far as even Sarah being preserved and that becoming, you know, into Egypt, so. Yeah, Matthew, I can do that. You know, uh, every time I say to people, look, Jesus himself said that, that the devil is the father of lies. He's the origin. He's the source of all lies. And none of us should ever be speaking his language. It's just that simple. We need to be truth tellers. And it's always, always, always wrong to lie. It is a sin, S-I-N. And people say, well, well, yeah, but Rahab did, and she's in the Hall of Fame of Faith. And what about and, and Abraham, the father of our faith? Well, here's why they lied. Their faith failed. In Rahab's case, her faith was weak. You know, we like to think of, well, I lied for the greater good, and that's why Rahab. No, Rahab didn't know God. All she knew about God was that he was going to win the battle and she wanted to be sure to be on the winning side. But she had no experience with Israel's God. She certainly didn't have any kind of a relationship with God. And we like to justify, well, it's a white liar. It's a good lie. I just didn't want to hurt somebody's feelings. We're smart people. There's, there's other ways to get around people asking questions. But it's just never, ever okay to lie. And whenever you see somebody who lied, the same thing is true with Gideon and, and the fleece. People say, well, Gideon threw out a fleece. He wanted confirmation. Well, that's because his faith was weak at that moment. So here's our goal is to grow in the faith, to grow in the knowledge of who God is, and, and to, to respond to him and his character with a like character. And that means we've got to be truth tellers. And there's just, there's just no reason ever to lie. And, you know, you can find a million reasons why, well, maybe we should lie, but uh, it's just always wrong. Dan, I'd be interested in your perspective. No, I, I love it. I mean, I, I don't really have anything to add. I think that's a, a phenomenal perspective because, again, one of the reasons why I love the Bible so much is that it's a perfect book in the sense that it shows how God's perfect and we're not. And, and so he gives this beautiful story throughout all of Scripture— about his perfection and man's failures. And it doesn't hide the failures of man. I think if I was to write a religious book, it would be about everything I wanted to be perfect. And it really kind of, when you think about the garden, right, that's God wanted it. He, he saw it, he created it, said it was good. That's how it started, but then we have this fall. And so there's all of these beautiful stories about the failure of men and the gracious goodness and mercy of God. And so I just see that throughout all of these situations, every single one of us in this room, every single one listening, if you're a child of God, you've experienced God's mercy today, right? His mercies are new every morning. The fact that he didn't snuff you out today, um, the fact that he's then also given you the opportunity to get saved, the fact that he's given you his grace, the fact that if you take a deep breath in right now, you recognize that was a gift. It wasn't owed to you. It was a joy. And he blessed you with that. It just, again, for, for me, it further demonstrates how none of us are worthy enough and how gracious God is. You know, we're inside two minutes now for the program, so this will be the last thing we want to deal with before the break. But, but one of the things, my, my own personal experience, you know, I was a car dealer. 
The only time I was lying was when my lips were moving. <laughs> and, um, um, you know, you get used to lies. Lies become a way of life, and you lean on them. And once I got saved, I started being bothered by telling lies. And in one particular case, there was a, a, a man who was after me. I owed him a lot of money. Um, and, and uh, you know, I was lying to him because I was afraid. My faith was weak. That didn't mean that the lie was justified. But it got to the point. I mean, the Holy Spirit, the conviction fell on me so powerfully that I finally, one day I, I, I lied to him. I hung up the phone. And, and it was like Jesus was in the room with me. And I just, I just, I told him, I said, I can't lie again. Mm-hmm. This may cost me my life. I mean, this was a bad guy. My, my pre-Christ life was a bad one. Uh, this may cost me my life. But I had to get to that place where I would say, Jesus, I would rather die than tell one more lie. And when you get to that point, believe me, God tested it. I was tested instantly. And the, the reality is, is God showed off in ways that are spectacular. Think about that the next time you're telling your children that there's a sin <laughs> Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in our special edition program from the Men's Retreat, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. Welcome back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Friday program from the Alto Frio Baptist Encampment, our men's retreat. 340-9585 for you out there in the audience if you have any questions. Uh, let's go to Pablo, who's standing at the microphone. Uh, Pablo Valle from San Antonio, Texas. I'm so pleased to be here with all my brothers, first of all. Uh, this question was, I don't recall how I came across it, but is there a reason to lie to protect somebody? Let's say, um, I think the example they used was back in uh, Nazi days, when the Nazis were seeking out the Jews, that uh, they would hide the Jews in their house in a secret area. And the Jews, would, the Nazis would come in there, you have any Jews in here? And the Jews were saying, no, we have nobody in here. So they're lying to a regime that was out to kill somebody. Right. Is that lie permitted? Or I don't quite understand how, how you can protect somebody without, if you tell them the truth, you know what they're going to do to them. Well, it, it, depends, it depends on your, your, your walk with the Lord. Uh, you know, um, will God forgive them for telling those lies? The Egyptian um, um, handmaids who, who lied uh, when, when the, the Israelite babies were being killed, the male babies. Um, yeah, God forgave them. Um, but, but we can't use an exceptional circumstance like that to justify a lie. And that's what we've got to understand. And it's all going to deal or, or, or come down to, the, to, to your level of faith. Do I trust God? What's the Lord leading me to do? And the one thing I can say with 100% certainty is that the Spirit of God, who is the Spirit of truth, would never lead somebody to lie. Now, if you do it and you do it because, well, I thought it was the best thing. God, I'm sorry. Your sins are going to be forgiven. God is a wonderfully gracious God. He understands our weaknesses. He understands... Uh, all of the the difficulties we encounter, but the spirit of truth can never lead to telling us a lie. Thank you. Just a shout out to my grandsons, (laughs) Leo, Eli. Very cool. I want to get this question, Dan, let you you deal with it. The second part of the one we didn't get to, are we guaranteed to live in a democracy as a biblical God-given right? Are we guaranteed to live in a society that gives us a choice to elect our leaders? Now, as you answer that, the one thing I want sort of put in the background of all of you, our Constitution guarantees us a lot of things, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Does God care about our happiness? No. 
So we Christians were very quick to, to, to say, well, that was our God-given right, the, the right to keep and bear arms. It's our God-given right. No, it's a right given to us by the country that we live in, and we are free to exercise those rights. We're free to defend those rights, but we have to be really careful blaming God for stuff. In cases like that. Yeah, I mean, you only have to so look, look so far as uh, Jesus, uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, pretty much the entire New Testament, to recognize that they were under some brutal rulers and dictators. I mean, looking at uh, Felix and Festus and Agrippa and Herod and uh, Nero. I mean, there were just some brutal dictators and brutal leaders. And you'll never hear one of uh, the apostles, you'll never hear Jesus decrying what was going on and saying, I have rights. Now, Paul did a little bit when he talked about his Roman rights. He pulled that out towards the end, but he appealed to a, a Roman right. He had a Roman right not to be flogged. And so they stopped flogging him, realizing he was a Roman citizen. You have rights in this country right now, but they aren't guaranteed throughout history, right? They're guaranteed as long as we still have a democratic republic. Um, as a nation. But could that go away? Absolutely. Could that be part of what God wants to do? Absolutely. Does it mean we want it to happen? No. Does it mean we wish for it to happen? No. Does it mean we stand in the gap against such things? Absolutely. But it doesn't mean that we're guaranteed any of those things. And again, when we, when we look at that, that's, it's got to be something that we keep into our heart, that we try to preserve all that God's given us and at the same time, recognizing it's not a right given to us by God, it so happens that we live in a country right now that God has blessed us with that has those rights. And yeah, God's not uh, particularly interested in our <laughs> happiness, but rather our holiness. That, that used to concern me as a young Christian. Sure. But, but you've got to get over it. You know, when Paul used the Roman law to his advantage, he didn't do it for him. He did it to give God a platform. He did it to be in the will of God. So it wasn't one of those things, well, this is my right and I'm going to use it. He used the law to give God a platform. And, of course, that's exactly what happened. And, of course, that's what led to Paul's death. You know, we, we often think, well, well, Paul took a stand. He did the righteous thing. But what Paul did was begin his own punishment. That trip to Jerusalem cost him his life. It took a while because he had to go to Rome to be judged, but Paul did it for the glory of God. He didn't do anything for his own convenience. And I think we Christians, we've got to just look, this is what I believe. We have the right to keep and bear arms. Uh, great, go buy a gun. But is that gun really for God's glory or for your, your pleasure, your enjoyment? You've, you've got to make that, that decision. Well, and you also, I just wanted to even add to that because at the end there, you saw, um, you know, in several of the letters that Paul then wrote to different churches, uh, he was even greeting them and saying, hey, the, the, the people in Caesar's household greet yeah. you. Think about those people who got saved simply because Paul was in Caesar's prison, right? And so sometimes we, and even going back to the question about lying, sometimes we forget that God has a greater thing that he wants to do. Um, in and through us if we're just obedient to what he's called us to do. Cool. Tom, you're not on the air, but you're at the microphone. Okay. Uh-oh. Hi, Pastor Ron. Hi. Um, Tom King from San Antonio. Um, I just had a question. I had asked you a while back about this, and um, I never got a chance to actually call the radio show and ask. So um, when I was downtown, I was talking to a gentleman, and he told me he had saw uh, – there was a people protesting, women protesting about the Roe v. Wade thing and all that. And some lady was carrying a sign, and it said that God approves and that uh, she had numbers uh, five in the story about, I think it's like 23, 24, but the story about how the priest had given the woman bitter water for her to miscarry. And I wanted to know if you could kind of address that because this woman was making it look like, you know, it was okay for uh, in Scripture for this. So You know, Tom, it infuriates me when unbelievers use the Bible they don't understand uh, and haven't really read to justify a point of view. And that's all that that person was doing. Um, we, we had these, this question, not the same question, but but similar question about abortion in our Q&A. And abortion is simply murder. And it's never okay 
it's never okay mm-hmm. to take human life. And God's made his position very clear on this. And the world that is in rebellion against God simply uh, won't agree with him. Um, and so we don't need to listen. And, and what I tell people when they say, well, what about in the book of Numbers? Well, I don't think you really understand the book of Numbers. Mm-hmm. I don't think you understand Leviticus. I don't think you understand these things. And so read them, study them, and then we'll talk. But I don't deal with dishonest questions. Yeah. And uh, th- th- believe me, in that girl's heart, she knew that abortion is murder. Yeah. She just simply denied it. Her heart got stone hard, and that's what happens. Yeah. Okay. I just, because I was asked it, and then I got kind yep. of like, you know, so, okay, thank you. Yep. Murder's murder, and we don't have to yeah. be shy about saying that. Amen. Very cool. Yes. Uh, hi, Pastor Ron. Uh, recently, I was reading a, uh, a marriage. Oh, sorry. My name's Josh. Uh, <laughs> I was recently reading a marriage book, and I came across some very uh, disturbing statistics that I had uh, no idea. Um, and I just wanted to ask some questions about those and what we can do as men in the church. Uh, one of the most shocking ones is that 11 is the average age that a child is first exposed to pornography, and 94% of children will see pornography by the age of 14. Um, and the other one that was extremely shocking to me was 68% of church-going men and over 50% of pastors view pornography on a regular basis. And of young Christian adults, 18 to 24 years old, 76% actively search for pornography. And um, only 7% of pastors say that their church has a program to help people struggling with pornography. Now, obviously, there's a lot of shame involved with these kind of things, so it tends to be kind of hush-hush. So how can we as men help um, those who may be living with this problem and afraid to come forward to talk to people about it, such as pastors or just brothers of the faith? Yeah, thank you, Josh. I think one of the things you'll you'll hear tonight, um, just this is our history— at our afterglow, there will be men who will stand up and publicly repent of viewing pornography and other things because when the Spirit of God convicts their heart, they've got to deal with it. I think personally that your statistics are a little old. That's right. Yeah, they're, they're a little the old thing. because it's much, wor- or much worse now. Right. Children are exposed to pornography um, now by the age of eight. And um, I, I just did a study that, that talked about this and gave the statistics not too long ago. Um, so these numbers are always changing. And because we've allowed our children to carry these computers in their hand unsupervised, believe me, that number is even higher. Yep. You know, what does the Song of Solomon say? Do not awaken desire before it's time. And we're destroying these kids who aren't emotionally ready for the, what, what they're seeing. Their bodies begin the process of changing early. Uh, people are going into to puberty much, much, much earlier than, than when I grew up, for example, because we're exposed to all of these things. And uh, I, I think this is a battle that has to be fought one man at a time. Dan, why don't you... Yeah, we, you know, I was a men's pastor for many years before I became the senior pastor at Calvary Oceanside. And um, it's the biggest man killer in the church. And uh, to pastors who are actively looking at pornography, um, step down and get some help uh, because it is sullying the reputation of the church. Um, And don't call it sex addiction. No, no, don't don't church it up. Don't try and Christianize it. Um, The other thing is... uh, Almost every church, every church, no, I'm going to say it, every church needs something to deal with this uh, pandemic because this is far worse than COVID ever was. And it is infecting and affecting the church in America and around the world. Um, and it has crippled the church. We have, I mean, uh, the bitter water and the fresh water from the same spring, how can that happen? And, and you, you can't, right? It's, it, there are men who've been emasculated, crippled, uh, hindered, and handicapped because they have no power, because they've given um, themselves over uh, to this lustful God. And uh, we've done many different things at our church to attempt to, you know, at least give people some help and some, uh, you know, uh, we, we run a group called Area 51, and it's all based around Psalm 51, and it's an ongoing group. We're just about to start a women's pornography group because... 
Uh, again, what I was saying uh, just uh, earlier today, that one of the greatest lies that the enemy perpetrates is that girls don't have this same issue, right? Uh, if, he, if he doesn't destroy you, he'll try and distract you. And the biggest distraction is, oh, women don't struggle with this. Oh, they do. It may not be in the same numbers as men, but there's still a, you know, the same issue. So pastors, leaders, uh, we need to get a hold on this. And we need to make sure that there is something within churches to help guys recover and go through this in a biblical way. Yeah, you know, one of the things I'd like to address here is, is and, and, and we're talking to men, this is a men's retreat. Um, we promised God that we will love, honor, cherish, and protect our wives. And to, to be entrapped by pornography is just the opposite of protecting her. We're being so cruel. We're setting up an image in our brain that your wife can't possibly compete with. And the first thing, and I know having done this for so long, I know the lies the devil tells your wives when you're looking at pornography is, well, if you were thinner, he wouldn't do that. If you were prettier or if you were able to satisfy him, you're not able to satisfy your husband. And then what he does is, is makes her feel completely responsible for it. And, and I've actually had women, when, when the, the, the problem with pornography was uncovered in the home, they would come and say, well, I know it's my fault because I'm not exciting enough or I don't satisfy him. And, and we stop it immediately because the man who is looking at the pornography is the one to blame. It's his sin. And rather than protecting the woman that he promised God he would protect, he is actively damaging her, hurting her. And I don't know, men, how any one of us is ever going to stand before the Lord and explain that to him. On your wedding day, you promised me that you would protect her. And you were the instrument the enemy used to destroy her. How would we explain that? Well, you know, I just have a weakness. I'm just, I've got a problem with lust. If you've got a weakness, his strength will be made evident. If you've got a problem with lust, set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Our theme of of our retreat is just be with Jesus. You won't look at a computer screen with pornography on it if you're with Jesus. In order to to look at a screen and, and look at that filth, you actively have to say, Jesus, thanks for everything you've done, but I get out of here for a while because I'm going to do something really evil. And then after it's done, you feel guilty and say, oh, God, I'm so sorry. And then you invite him back into your office again. And we've got to see the duplicity of that and the insidious nature of this sin. Dan said it's emasculating men. It's doing much worse than that. High school students in particular, male and female, are watching pornography with a frequency, pornography with a frequency that will destroy, apart from a move of God's spirit, will destroy any possibility of being able to enjoy a vibrant, healthy sex life. Yes. They'll never have a view of sex as God intended it to be. That's why I move the spirit. And I want to remind everybody, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. And when you're looking at pornography, you know it's wrong. It's not an addiction. It's rebellion against God. And you're damaging the people that you say you love. Yeah. And we got to be honest enough to deal with it on that basis. And for the young men who are listening as well, do not be deceived into thinking that once you get married, that problem goes away because it does not. It is a deep seated problem that you need to deal with now. You know, Dan, we had the question in the, in the, the general Q and a, um, um, if you're single and you want to be married, um, I, I know a lot of single men who say, well, when I get married, I'll stop looking at pornography. Yeah. But you know, I've got needs. And, and God can never bring a woman that he cares about no, no. to a man like that. It's going to be, it's going to cripple the relationship before it starts. Before it starts. Thank you, Josh, for the question. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Dan, question on the board is, can women be pastors? If not, why not? You know, that's a, it's a great question. It's come up a lot these days. You've got the, the, the battle between egalitarian and complementarian and uh, what it means and, and who, who, who says what and was it for then or was it for now. And my general take on this is obviously this isn't a salvation issue. First and foremost, just want to make sure that everybody understands that it's not a salvation issue. At the same time, it is a biblical issue, and we need to be biblical about this. So we need good hermeneutics, good exegesis. And again, I've gone through the litany of, had a lot of study on this area. 
Um, but the, the general, uh, when you look at Scripture, it's very, very clear. Um, Paul is speaking to men, and even when he lists, again, this is the trump card for me, when he lists the qualifications, he said, if any man desires to be an overseer, and then he lists the qualifications, one of them being the husband of a wife. If he had meant it to be, um, you know, a husband or wife, he would have thrown that language in. But this is really the crux of it to me, because a lot of guys will say, well, uh, maybe that means just for then. Maybe he was just speaking to that culture. My issue to that is, well, if he didn't mean it there and it, it meant something different for them than it does now, what else in Scripture do we get to go back and look at and say, well, actually, that was just cultural, actually, because then it becomes a slippery slope to where you in a sense, get to discredit half the New Testament that you don't like. Yeah, we, we can tear pages out of our Bible right. to, to suit our whim at the moment. You know, one of the things, and this is hermeneutics. Dan mentioned hermeneutics. There's a method to interpreting our Bibles. If you go to Second Timothy chapter 2, the 12th verse, the context there is order in the church. Timothy establishing churches. This is the work that needs to be done to make those churches strong. I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. And in that particular case, now, in contrast to Corinthians, when Paul addresses a cultural issue, um, churches that are out of order and, and women talking over men and men talking over women coming out from under the authority that was given by God, in contrast to Corinth, in First Timothy, Paul goes back to Genesis to lay the foundation. And, and in, in terms of a hermeneutic, it's simply this is a once for always, for all time rule that I lay down the churches. It was at the beginning, and from that place we can move forward. And, and so we, we, don't have to, we have to explain right. Paul writing to the Corinthians, I do not permit a woman to talk in church. Right. Um, it's a different thing altogether. He's talking there about out of order. But when he goes to Genesis... And in Genesis, um, he's laying that, that foundation. It's something that we can't violate. And uh, I appreciate that Dan said that this is not a salvation issue, and it's not. I was once, um, it's happened several times, but, but I, because of this radio program, um, I was invited to a pastor's appreciation lunch, and the station general manager was introducing me to a lot of the people around, and he introduced me to a couple of women who were pastors there. And one of them looked at me and said, I know you don't think I should be doing what I'm doing, but God called me. And all I could say was, all I can tell you is you're selling for less than God's best. The best is obedience. God bless you. I'll see you in heaven. But, and the people that go to a church with a woman pastor, they're settling for less than God's best. It's that straightforward. And we need to be um, unashamed to declare that in this present culture. Next. Uh, yeah, this is John Kemp. Uh, thank you, Pastor Ron, Pastor Dan. Um, on that question, <laughs> I have a, another question. So with those uh, categorizations around a teacher, uh, somebody that's got the authority of the word over others, uh, how does that apply to a worship leader who is doing the same thing but in song? Well, good question. Um, Dan, I'm going to let you handle this sure. uh, other than saying this. Um, I'm the worship leader in our church. Mm. And um, I appoint the people that God brings, and I give them guidelines to stay within, and, and their job is to do what I tell them to do and do it with the right heart. And my only concern, Dan, for my worship people is that they can actually sing those words with a straight yeah, face. Amen. Absolutely. I've got, uh, at our church, we have uh, male worship leaders, female worship leaders. We have no uh, issue with that, as well as female deacons and uh, you know, deaconesses, right? And, and the issue really becomes one of authority. And that was the, the biggest issue is it's delegated authority, that there is someone who's responsible and accountable to God, accountable to a board or elders, uh, other pastors, and they are delegating that authority to someone who's going to hold that line. And again, whatever that line may be, you know, right? Uh, you may have some uh, certain songs. Like one of the things that I am a stickler on is proper theology in songs. Uh, it's it's gotten a little loose these days with the theology <laughs> in the songs. It's one of the things that I uh, understand and know that theology disciples people. And so 
uh, music then, because it's got a lot of theology in it, music disciples people. And so understanding that there's discipleship happening in that music, well, we got to make sure that that music is right. And I don't care if it's a woman, a child, as long as they're under that authority and they've been given that authority, I think it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, there, there are a few songs that I've, I've said uh, to Pastor Elaine, uh, we're not going to do that song anymore. That's a dumb song. I mean, the lyrics make no sense at all. <laughs> and so we're just not going to do that song. Uh, I once had a guy come to me at the end of a, a Bible study, um, and, and he said, well, well, your worship songs are unbiblical. And I said, unbiblical? Which one? And he said, well, you had a lyric in that song that said, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. And that's unbiblical because the Spirit will never be taken. He'll never leave us or forsake us. And I said, that song is unbiblical? And I asked him to turn with me to Psalm 51. That's it. Yeah. I said, it's word for word, right out of the Bible. And he got all flustered. I think worship is, you know, sort of a whipping boy. Um, we do our best, and there's a lot of songs now that are out there that are emotional. All the glory goes to man. It's all about us and how we feel. And I think as pastors, Dan, we have to be really, really careful to um, make sure that we're rightly representing the Bible that we're teaching in song as well. And Amen. I think we do a good job. Dan, Amen. we're out of time. Oh, it's been too too short. I enjoy this. It goes fast. I know it does. It, it really, really does. does go fast. Absolutely. Hey guys, thanks for being here. You in the audience, thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to the word to stand on for life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. It's, that's, that's why I love doing this program. It's the only time I get an applause. <laughs> You've been listening to the word to stand on for life. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Go to church on Sunday. Find somebody you can be a blessing to. Let the Lord use the gifts he's given you. God bless. We'll see you on Monday. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.